Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome back. It's episode number 50, which is crazy to think, but I'm really happy to be joined by fellow practitioner in hormonal health, Maria Claps, and we're talking all about the perimenopause journey. So we haven't actually covered this in much detail on the show, and that's why I wanted to have the expert in this field, Maria Claps, on today. And I tend to talk more about pre-menopause, so the menstrual years, but this is just as important and something that we're all going to go through. Maybe you're going through it right now. So Maria Claps, for those who don't know, is a certified health coach, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, and mum to four grown boys, which you would never think, looking at her. After receiving inadequate healthcare that did nothing to address her perimenopausal symptoms, Maria enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, IIN, to support herself. After that, Maria pursued several hormone-centric trainings, including Dr. Sarah Godfrey's Practitioner Hormone Training Programme, the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Programme, the Nutritious Life Certification, and she also trained with the hormone scholar and scientist, Dr. Lindsay Berkson. Maria helps women all over the world as a perimenopause and menopause mentor via her Thrive Over 45 programme. She's also a Dutch hormone test expert, which you probably heard me talk about many times and mentioned during the episodes. When she's not working with clients, Maria can be found trekking through Italy at farmers markets locally or in the kitchen creating amazing recipes. In this episode, we're discussing what exactly happens to our hormones during perimenopause, what even is perimenopause, troubleshooting for common symptoms such as hot flashes, anxiety, weight gain that people may experience, how our nutrition and lifestyle needs change as we get older, and then we talk a lot about bioidentical hormones, how they compare to synthetic hormones, and how they can be a lifesaver for a lot of women during peri and postmenopause. And finally, how Maria stays hormonally healthy, which I was personally interested in because I want to look like Maria after having four kids and running a busy practice. So I'm sure you'll love Maria as much as I do, and all of her details will be linked in the show notes as well. So let's get into the episode. So could you start off by sharing a little bit about you, Maria, who you are, and if you had any type of health journey, what that entailed? Sure. Um, so my name is Maria Claps, and I am a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. And um, I am a mom of four. They're grown now. And around age 42, um, I started to have what were the symptoms of perimenopause. And I visited, visited a pretty well-known, well-published medical doctor in New York City. Um, and he kind of got me started on a path, but like was very, like very, very supplement heavy, kind of drug heavy too. And, you know, got me like started in a good direction, but um, there were flaws in his treatment program. And I, I knew it because I had always been holistically oriented and was curious and self-aware. Um, so that was actually, Vivian, when I went back to school, I went to, to um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition, quickly realized that that was not you know, not quite enough for me. And then I studied with Dr. Sarah Gottfried and that's when I did the functional diagnostic nutrition program. And now I really, I get mentored by the best in the business. So that's, that's a little bit about me. Amazing. Yeah, definitely a great list of practitioners uh, and you're included. So I love that. And that's why I wanted you on the podcast. We haven't yet spoken in much detail about perimenopause and menopause. So I knew you'd be the perfect person to have on. So just to start off, what exactly is perimenopause and what's happening physiologically in the female body? So let's hearken back to geometry. Peri means around, so around the time of menopause. Um, 
And it's, um, it's just a shift in, in hormone levels. They start to kind of fluctuate a little bit. The, so what happens is our hormones are, um, they're directed by the brain and through feedback loops. So the brain like senses levels of hormones in the body. And if there's not, the brain tells in this case, the ovaries to make estrogen. Um, and you know, that just starts to get a little bit disrupted for whatever reason, like aging is really the major part of it. And that's perimenopause. So women tend to have a lot of symptoms. But one of the things I also notice about perimenopause is, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to isolate symptoms. Like we don't, uh, we don't exist in a vacuum. We're not in a, like a closed metabolic ward in the hospitals where we can figure out all these things easily. So women think, well, it's just life or it's kids or I'm getting older. I mean, those things might play a small part, but also hormones and, and neurotransmitters and the way the brain communicates with the rest of the body is changing. Um, so that is perimenopause. And um, what age it, does this typically happen and how long does it occur for? Yeah, so it really, it varies very much. I would say it can run for two to 10 years. I would say 10 is quite long. I, I do hear women in their 30s telling me they're, that they're in perimenopause. A, they're very self-aware if they are, because like not a lot of women say I'm in perimenopause to begin with. And B, I, while I do think that is a little bit on the young side, two things come to mind. Milestones of reproduction and reproductive life are changing. Um, and um, I never discount anyone's story. So um, it is possible, although I will say, and this is not just because this was my own experience. My own experience was age 42, 43, going through perimenopause. But having now worked with hundreds of women and basically women 40 and up, and also having this confirmed by a very well-known you know, scientist that I work with, 42, 43 is usually like a massive shift in hormones. Anyone that knows like that has had children or raises children knows that, oh, um, 14 was, wow, a change. Or, you know, that we have these, these milestones that we know for all children. Well, I happen to think that, again, somewhere between age, the journey from 42 to 43 is when, wow, there's a real change going on. Again, it differs for each woman, but. And is there any like definitive tests that they can do any blood work or would it just be like you're this age, you have these symptoms, we can assume that you're in perimenopause. It's really based on symptomology because, um, you know, so, so there's no definitive like threshold test you're in perimenopause because, you know, follicle stimulating hormone is not a valid, valuable uh, test right now to determine, you know, menopausal age and perimenopause. Um, it's it's helpful for other things, but it's not good. It shifts, changes. Um, it's really just based on symptoms. And, and it's really like, you know, if we were to say, see, if you were the type of person, like starting at 35, you tested like once a year or twice a year, your estrogen, your progesterone, then maybe you could use blood testing. But really, no, it's, it, there's no need via testing really to know, again, in the late thirties, early forties, am I in perimenopause? It's really based on symptoms. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that someone could do to delay perimenopause or menopause? Say if they have a family history of the mother going into um, perimenopause at age 35, or they've had to have a, an acute hysterectomy because of medical reasons. And that's been a strong family history. Is there anything that someone can do to prevent that from happening or delay the whole process? Yeah, it's a fabulous question. Um, so we do, so for my clients that are, um, again, in their early to mid forties and the period is getting a little bit, um, shifting around and they're kind of like starting to feel some changes and they're getting curious about menopause. One of the first things that I ask them, um, is at what age did your mom go into menopause? And interestingly enough, this is a little bit of a sideline. They very often don't know because I feel like our mother's generation almost all had hysterectomies. Mm, so they true. just don't know. Yeah. Um, but having said that, yeah, there is a bit of a genetic component to that. Um, can you, can you slow it down? Um, it's possible that you can, but I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And we sometimes hear of premature ovarian failure. Mm -hmm. How is, how is that different than just oh, going into yeah. menopause? 
Yeah, so that so basically that is a, a menopausal state. That's when um, that that's when a woman is menopausal prior to the age of forty. Um, it comes with some pretty severe consequences because when we lose that estrogen, we lose cardio protection, we lose bone protection, and I don't have the final word on this. It's thought that it's perhaps an autoimmune process happening in the ovaries as well. Interesting. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. And how soon should we start planning for perimenopause and menopause? Is it just when you get symptoms, like it's time to take some supplements, take some herbs, or for those who are maybe in their 20s listening right now, is it something that they should start thinking of at that age? Well, I mean, I feel like um, the 20s might be a little young. I think maybe maybe once you hit 35, you want to start considering it. Once you hit 40, you definitely want to start considering it. Um, I, I think really the focus on maybe we'll say the 20s and the early 30s is, you know, Vivian, I'm sure you agree with this. It's like um, uh, a a heart-friendly diet, a, a you know, an ovary-friendly diet, a, a you know, a brain-friendly diet. It's It's pretty much right? Mm -hmm. The same. So the healthier, you know, you are and the more attention that you give your health and, you know, is, is just great at any point in life. Um, you know, what you want to start considering once you hit about your forties is going to be, okay, am I nutrient deficient? Am I mineral deficient? Because, you know, the longer, the more revolutions you have, right? The more time you have on this planet, on this earth, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you have the potential to develop more problems and you have the potential um, to be deficient in nutrients. So are there any specific nutrients that you commonly see be deficient and how does our diet, how should our diet shift as we get older? Like are there any changes to um, like carbohydrate tolerance, for example, I know that you speak about that. Mm -hmm. Um, How does that happen? Sure. Um, So I'm actually seeing a lot of B12 deficiency. Um, in my clients. And again, I do think that that is part and parcel has to do with um, another kind of problem that accompanies aging or challenge, I should say. I like challenge that yeah. problem because challenge implies we can find a solution. Yeah, love that. Um, is, um, is declining levels of stomach acid. Um, so I'm do, I am seeing a lot of B12 deficiency. I'm seeing occasional like what I, maybe not overt on blood tests, but occasional B6 deficiency as well, mm. or just like not you know, maybe not an all out deficiency, but just getting like, you know, we need to just bump that up. Um, magnesium um, deficiency, and then just like a um, protein deficiency. Mm. So what happens is um, I'm not an anti-carber by any means. I, I rather like carbohydrates, but <laughs> um, what I've come to realize and, and what the science is pretty clear is that you lose glucose and insulin sensitivity when estrogen is gone. And I, and I will say this, once you have shifted from perimenopause to menopause, and it's really simple, there's a lot of confusion over this. Like I have women who are, um, I say, well, are you menopausal? Like to me, it's a super easy question. Well, I, I don't really know. I'm like, well, when was your last period? Well, I had one three months ago. I'm like, okay, you're not, pedimo- uh, you're not menopausal. It's like, you have to be fully hmm. without a period for uh, for 12 months. And, yeah. and that's menopause. We don't need to go on FSH. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need like unnecessary blood tests. Right. And so once that happens, when you, when you have shifted from perimenopause to fully menopausal and you don't have estrogen. And at that point, yes, you still have some estrone. Yes. You still, still make some estrogen, um, through the adrenals. Right. But you, your ovaries are really not making your main estrogen anymore. You, you just cannot eat the way you did when you were, say, in your 30s. And, and that's a large reason why there's so much weight gain. Mm-hmm. And that's even true just with menstruating women. Like certain po- po- points of the cycle, you're more insulin resistant. So mm-hmm. you can cycle it in your menstrual years as well. But obviously there's a bigger hit in um, menopause where you lose a lot of that good healthy estrogen that makes you more insulin sensitive so yeah love that point i don't think that's commonly spoken about people are just told yeah just eat what you want some people just think less food overall is beneficial what are your thoughts on that well you know it's so funny i was having a discussion with a colleague um i i am not a calorie counter by any means i don't even track macros like Mm. i just eat i eat my protein to satiation um I fuel 
you know, moderately with fats. I'm also not one of these people that's like, oh, I just shove in the avocados yeah. and the macadamia. Filter on everything. <laughs> yeah, I think that we have to be careful with that. Um, um, and then I really curate my carbohydrate uh, very carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about intermittent fasting? Do you feel like that could be beneficial? I, mean, I think like um, I think like everyone needs to do twelve hours. Like yeah. twelve hours is 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 sort of like old fashioned and basic, mm-hmm. and it's what we had before, you know, the midnight buffet on the cruise. And I mean, I live right outside New York City, Vivian. Every um, stores you wouldn't even suspect. There's a skincare store called Kiehl's and there's um, Bed Bath & Beyond. They all have cafes in them. <laughs> you can go in and buy a jar of skin cream. Yeah. And you can be sitting in the back of the store with um, a big chocolate chip cookie and, <laughs> and a cup of coffee or tea. Crazy. So we, we have, you know, we're just, we always have opportunity to eat. Um, there's a store in Manhattan called Insomnia Cookies. We're open till three or four in the morning. Oh my you know? God. So I think, you know, 12 to 13 hours um, is great. And, and I think it's what we need to go back to. I'm going to just give you a little uh, cute little, I'll never forget this. I was on a cruise many years ago and the comedian actually said, um, I'm about to end and I want to tell you another joke. He goes, but you people have been away from food for a whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so just true. You know, it's... Um, it's so true. So yes, let's put like a good 12 to 13 hours between our meal. Um, and then, you know, if you want to shift it out to maybe 14 to 16, I don't know if I really like any more than that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then also having said that, you know, if, if you need to eat, I think there's such a focus on intermittent fasting um, that, you know, if you, if you need to eat because you tr- feel true stomach hunger, um, or you're just low in energy, then, then eat, like, don't get caught up with, um, oh, I, yeah. I have to do it this way. I've like, got another two hours to go. I'm just going to f- pass out with hunger <laughs> because right. it's not time to eat. Yeah. And the 12 hours, like that seems pretty easy and that's got yeah. some protective benefits against breast cancer as well. So it seems pretty well tolerated by a lot of people and it has a lot of good benefits. So I agree yeah. with that one. Too too much can be a little bit too stressful on the adrenals. Um, absolutely. It can be, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the transition into menopause, should it be completely symptom-free? Like if we're experiencing symptoms and something's wrong? Or should we always expect some some symptoms and changes to mood and energy? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it would be ideal if it was symptom-free. For like the vast majority of women, it's not. Mm. Um, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with just 21st century living and, you know, we, we just toxicity yeah. um, and um, just stressful, always on the go, like demanding too much of ourselves. So I think it's rare that women transition into menopause without any issues. And what about someone who's artificially um, induced into menopause with a hysterectomy? I know there's there's some obvious medical reasons and concerns with that, but there are practitioners and doctors who are just like whipping the um, uterus out of a lot of women and gallbladders as well. What are the risks of that and how does that affect a woman? Like when the body's not ready to transition into menopause and you just do that artificially, how does that impact the woman? Yeah. So if they have their ovaries removed along with the uterus, that's instant menopause. Mm. And it's usually instant problems. Yeah. Unless a woman has been put on hormone replacement therapy, which is not the standard of care Yeah. that women automatically get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've spoken to women in their say mid forties who said I had a hysterectomy when I was 37. I'm like, okay, so have you been on hormones, which is really protective right? Protective heart mm-hmm. brain bones. Um, so yeah, if, if she doesn't get that um, and she has her ovaries out, then, then it's instant menopause. Literally like the moment those organs come out, those ovaries come out, that woman is menopausal. Now, if a woman has a hysterectomy and she still has her ovaries in, um, she's not, well, here's a, this is really just me being more of a wordsmith. Technically, She's menopausal because she's not having a period for 12 months, but her ovaries are still, you know, producing. Now we can't really track them um, because we're, we're not going to be menstruating, but 
Um, it's also thought that there, because the uterus was removed, that there is gonna be some disruption in the communication between the brain and the ovaries. So hormone production may, will not stop, but it may wane, it may, mm -hmm. it may lag behind a little bit. Yeah, what are some of the common reasons that women have hysterectomies? Oh, yeah, so um, endometriosis, um, fibroids, flooding, yeah. things like that. Right, yeah. and we're gonna come on to the common symptoms that women can experience in perimenopause and just give us your explanation as to what's going on and how someone could improve that symptom. So the first one being hot flashes or hot flushes, whatever you like to, whatever you like to say, what's going on there. And is there anything a woman can do in the moment to help get, get through that? Cause I know it seems I've not been through it, but it seems like it's pretty, um, pretty problematic in the moment. So hot flashes are thought to affect up to about 80% of women going through menopause. They can happen in perimenopause. So um, two reasons. Um, one is a dip in estrogen. So it's possible that a woman's not menopausal <clears throat> and she has a hot flash when her estrogen dips in the menstrual cycle. All right. Um, a cortisol surge is thought to be perhaps responsible for a hot flash as well. Um, I don't have like a ton of experience with coaching women through that mm -hmm. in terms of what we can do, except beyond like the standard advice, which is, um, which is going to be just like, you know, layers and yeah. right. But deep you know, breathing and yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's possible that, um, and, and there's a reason why I don't have a lot of uh, experience and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, it's possible that if you're in the perimenopause years that you can do, um, you can do estrogenic type foods. So like flax mm. and soy are the big ones. Um, so I actually like small amounts of, of fermented soy. I love tempeh. I'm certainly not making a recommendation to do like soy powders or yeah. anything like that. Um, Great. Like that. Yeah. So that might actually help. Um, sit on the estrogen receptor and, and kind of boost estrogen a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah, but I've not it... tested that, so okay. in terms of looking at blood and stuff like that. Yeah, so it would be more, um, I think, I guess with all of these, going to be more preventative than rather than wait until you experience a symptom and trying to find something to do. Well, so in perimenopause, yes, um, I would say, you know, try that soy and just try mm. like the standard issue recommendations. But when women come to me and they are straight up in menopause and they're having hot flashes there's nothing that works like estrogen absolutely nothing you give that a week or two mm -hmm. and those hot flashes are gone if you're dosed correctly mm -hmm. would yeah. that be as effective with the phytoestrogens in diet or are you talking bioidenticals oh um so bioidenticals yeah. like it's, it's a prescription yeah, yeah. okay yeah, I definitely want to talk more about the difference between synthetic and bioidentical, all of that. Yeah. Um, next symptom would be weight gain or weight distribution changes. So people start to notice a spur tire um, around the midsection. What's going on there? Yeah, so um, I am a believer that like in that perimenopause to menopause shift that you're going to put some weight on. Some weight is just sort of a, nor a normal, natural kind of evolutionary process. Um, so our ovaries are really stopping their production of estradiol, but um, fat cells do make some estrogen. So this is just a theory. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know if it's backed up by science. It's truly just a theory. And that is that um, our, we, we, we pad a little bit with a little bit of fat because that fat is going to be a create a little bit of estrogen for us. Yeah. Now, the goal is really not to not to use that as an excuse. And like once you go over uh between like five to maybe ten pounds max from let's just say your ideal weight at say 35, mm -hmm. then you're you're packing on too much fat and you, you can't kind of claim that evolutionary <laughs> process. The more the better. That's most likely <laughs> insulin and, and those yeah. type of issues. Yeah. Okay. And could be inactivity and yeah true well, and what are the negative health effects in menopause for those who are overweight is it just the um they're gonna have too much estrogen or is there any um what about breast cancer risk i know that 
weight management sure. is a factor with that. Yeah, sure. One of the best, you know, best things that women need to do to, to keep themselves safe, uh, you know, f- from breast cancer is not being overweight. So mm-hmm. that's huge. And then, um, uh, you know, metabolic syndrome, um, yeah. is, is also something that women are at risk for and weight, you know, figures in there. And then honestly, Vivian, just really self-esteem because women at this age of the stage of life are, you know, another thing that's kind of affected when hormones change is mood, mood. And, you know, they, you know, even if, let's just say we have a woman who's really not gaining too much weight, you know, her mood might be off because hormones fire with neurotransmitters, but then, you know, she's putting on weight, you know, she's feeling maybe not so good about herself. So yeah, a lot of reasons to keep our weight in a healthy range. And are there any other specific recommendations for mood issues and anxiety? Like if your client was struggling with those symptoms, are there any specifics that you recommend? Any stress management techniques that you like? Um, move to a sunny locale. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need to do. Yeah, same here. Um, sun is so important. It kind of signals our brain to mm. make, you know, the, the horm- some of the hormones that we need. Um, all right. Um, replace the waning hormones is huge mm. absolutely mm-hmm. huge okay yeah and because, because when estrogen drops it can pull down uh serotonin with it yes yeah, yeah. true um and menstrual irregularities like you think as you get older hormones are declining you'd have less period problems but how can things like fibroids and flooding and cramps why do they sometimes get worse yeah okay so um it could be due to um, the fact that estrogen is just, it's, it's dropping, but at the same time, it, it can be all over the map and, and mm. shifting as okay. well. So. And the estrogen metabolites could also be yeah, a problem? Yeah, so, so, you know, so estrogen is an umbrella term and people think, you know, it's one thing. Estrogen is actually really quite complex. We may have actually up to 60 different estrogenic molecules in the body. Some are good. Um, no, some are great. So there's mm. good, there's good, better, and best. Um, and you know, if we have the not so nice ones, yeah, they could certainly be causing symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then we have like liver health as well can be causing yes. those symptoms. Yeah. And talk about adrenal, the connection between perimenopause, your experience in perimenopause, and your adrenal health, because um, they're like the backup generators, aren't they? When the ovaries retire. Um, so talk about how we can care for our adrenals, what they are, and why they're so important. Yeah, so adrenals, um, they they kind of manage stress. I, I do like to talk about the adrenals because I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation. I think people feel like, oh, I have high cortisol. That's bad. I'm like, mm. no, 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 no. That's mm-hmm. not bad. That's actually your body responding the way it should. Yeah. Um, and you don't, like, using supplements to bring it down is, like, to me, it's like last on the list let's figure out like what's going on and why is that happening it's primarily life primarily lifestyle interestingly i find that like low adrenal function is much more of a challenge than high adrenal mm. function um and so the adrenals they just like they help us manage life and stress they are you know they produce the main hormone is cortisol there are several and um you know we call upon cortisol when we need to raise blood sugar when we need to um, raise blood pressure, when we need to um, manage inflammation. So it, it does a lot for us throughout our life. And um, I don't necessarily believe in adrenal fatigue, but I do think the adrenals can get a little bit um, dysregulated, like called upon a lot. And it's just, honestly, Vivian, I think it's really just primarily a lifestyle fix. Okay, so assuming that we don't have either end of the spectrum, which is autoimmune disease, right? Mm-hmm. Either too hyper or, or too hypo, too little. Um, I just think it's really, we need to just dial back in lifestyle. Um, and a lot of that is going to be sitting when you have meals, um, having gratitude, not taking yourself too seriously, you know, eating, um, eating protein, not, not causing blood sugar spikes, um, getting sun in the morning, super important for adrenals. Um, winding down at night so the the stuff that costs zero money but mm-hmm. it's hardest to do yeah yeah it's the most difficult though people just want to pop a pill and bring down their cortisol levels and i've seen that as well the body sometimes is trying to um 
reduce inflammation and protect you against a viral infection or a bacteria. And if you're suppressing that cortisol, that's why sometimes people can be in worse pain. The symptoms can get worse. And that's even when they've tested. Some people don't even bother testing and they just start taking glandulars and licorice and all of this stuff and they have no idea what they're doing. So definitely test, but don't underestimate the lifestyle stuff because yes, it's more difficult, but it's the most effective. I agree. The most effective. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a few more things on diet and lifestyle, then we'll talk about the bioidenticals. Are there any specific foods that you would recommend people to increase? I know that everyone's different. You've mentioned the phytoestrogens. Are there any other foods that would benefit someone in this life stage? Okay. Um, I, I would say... All right, so specific foods. Um, pomegranate seeds are nice. They help us to create good estrogen. They're also so mm-hmm. pretty, messy, but yeah. pretty. Um, cruciferous vegetables. Um, that is going to be your broccoli, your cauliflower, your arugula, your mustard greens, your Brussels sprouts. You know, I, my mom, I kind of grew up in a semi-health conscious home. And my mom and my grandma were always like, you know, eat your vegetables. They're anti-cancer. And, you know, the reason why they're anti-cancer is because they help to create a specific estrogen metabolite that's, that's anti-cancer. Yeah. So. Yeah. Great. And that's great that they knew that back then. Usually it's just like, oh, it'll help you go to the bathroom. But yeah, they must have been on it to know about the cancer link. They were sort of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and herbal remedies. I don't know if, what it's like in the US, but people tend to just go to health food stores and ask the attendant what they should take for hot flashes and menopause. And they get given things like black cohosh and don't quite and sage. Are there any that you use successfully or do so you that's find a them? Great question. Um, so I am not really a, f- all right. So here, how can I explain this? I love herbs. I love herbal medicine. I like herbs actually more for adrenal issues as a support, not as a first line yeah. of therapy. I'm not really a big fan of herbs and menopause. And I have companies um, contact me all the time asking me to kind of promote their product. And there's a reason why I won't do it. And, and that is because um, not that they're bad by any means. Um, they're less researched, um, but that's okay. We don't need, you know, gold standard studies to, you know, to take something, right? But, and that is Vivian because the um, replacing hormones once you are menopausal is so much more impactful than any mm-hmm. herb that you can take. Mm-hmm. So that's why I just don't focus on that area. Yeah. And some people's perspectives, like I'm totally with you with the bioidenticals. They're not as commonly used here in the UK, I don't think, um, as in the US. But some people say we're naturally meant to have lower hormones in menopause. Like why, why should we be taking them if you're holistic approach shouldn't we just be letting the body do what it naturally should that's a great question i need to do like a a whole series on that i do i do hear that quite frequently okay Mm. so um yes it's true this is this is what happened but uh this this is what happens and it is natural but it's certainly not optimal um and um, so, so humans, um, zoo animals uh, and domesticated animals are the only animals or creatures. I don't like to pull, <laughs> um, we, we are the only beings, uh, that actually will experience menopause. So in the wild, there's no menopause. Okay. Because after, so after your reproductive capacity is over, there's, how can I say this? This is really just kind of speaking from again, from a kind of a natural evolutionary perspective, you have no viability, mm-hmm. right? Now, that's not the case here, but the, the truth is, is that whether you plan on having children or not, you know, this has nothing to do with feminism or choice or anything like that, but you are made, you are designed to reproduce. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And, and so once menopause hit, hits, you're not reproductive anymore, um, you're seeing a waning of, of your health. Okay, that's one thing. The second thing is, um, you know, um, life expectancy about 100 years ago was about 50, give or take a few years. That's also the time, that's also the average age of North American women. I think it's the same in the UK. Yeah. 51 mm-hmm. um, of menopause, okay? So 
we didn't have to deal with, I mean, of living 20 to maybe 50 years um, after menopause. And then thirdly to that, I would say, um, we have no problem giving diabetics insulin. Mm -hmm. We have no problem taking Natrothroid or other hormones. Um, we have no problem uh, wearing glasses to correct sight. Um, you, you know, hearing aids if we need to. Um, so would you rather, you know, would you rather, you know, wear adult diapers because you've got bladder leakage because of the, the estrogen waning? Um, would you rather spend your time going from, you know, your 60s and 70s going from one dreary doctor's office visit mm -hmm. to the next? You know, do you want to have, do you want to be put on statins and, you know, beta blockers? Or do you want to restore hormones? And then you likely, I'm not saying that that's going to be, yeah. you know, 100%, mm -hmm. but likely all of those things are going to be great, greatly lessened. Yeah. So it's natural, but it's not optimal, I guess, is, is the summary mm -hmm. wrap up on that. Yeah. And we're trying to be like so holistic all the time, but you're right. We drive cars, we do all of this stuff, we take all of these um, superfoods, but we're scared of bioidentical hormones. And there is a lot of fear mongering online and with the term um, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, a lot of controversy there. What's the difference between the synthetic hormones and the bioidentical hormones that you promote? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so bioidentical hormones, interestingly enough, they come from plants, but I don't want anyone to think that yam cream mm. um, is going, it's, it's not the same thing. Yeah. So they, they, they are synthesized in a lab to be chemically, biologically identical to what uh, the ovary produces, which I just find that fascinating. Like um, hormones that come from our bodies actually come from plants. I mm. mean, that's just so fascinating, mm -hmm. that connection. Um, and so now what, um, synthetic hormones are, are similar, but that's a whole different ball game. They're similar, but then they could just have one little change and that changes so they can be patentable. And the most common synthetic estrogen is called Premarin. Uh, and it does actually come from horse's urine. That's not like an urban legend. It's really yeah. true. Um, and that is, um, great for horses, but not so great for humans. Um, and also for those that love animals to think that, you know, horses are be kept, kept in stalls and, and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And is the dosage that you're trying to match the same as a 30 year old woman or is it just enough to relieve symptoms? Okay, so to be perfectly honest with you, we would have to do a hour to three hour podcast <laughs> on that. There's controversy with that. There's that. So there's, there's several ways of dosing hormones. Um, yeah. So okay. it, it varies on worldview and, and, um, medical professional that's going to help you. Yeah. But we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, replacing hormones is for the vast majority of women, not all women, but for the vast majority of women, um, is really safe and beneficial. Yeah. And what's the difference with the wild yam cream? Why is that not beneficial? It's just, so, so it's just not, um, it's not chemically identical to what we produce. It might be similar, but it's just not identical. Hmm. And are there any cases where women can just take progesterone or do you always need to combine estrogen and progesterone together? Okay. So now, now we're, let's, let's, let's put that in the context of menopause. Um, hmm. Uh, so again, I always said I never want to discount anyone's story, and some women will report that progesterone works initially and just progesterone, but I, it's going to stop working. And that's because you need an estrogen receptor to create receptors for progesterone. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And the, the thoughts that it increases cancer, are we just talking about the synthetic here, and is that actually accurate, or has it just all been blown out of proportion um okay so that's a great question so when there was the 2002 women's health initiative which was ended the study drug that was used was called premarin hmm. okay so that's a that's a horse estrogen yeah. um and then there was another arm of the so premarin was given to women without a uterus so they had just their estrogen and then um women with the uterus were given premarin and a synthetic progesterone um, I think it was uh, medroxy progesterone. Okay. So MPI. Um, and 
what they found was that women who um, who used Kremlin only, and again, that could only be the women without a uterus, and again, that's not really the best estrogen for us, actually had less of a cancer risk than women who used nothing. Right. So can we extrapolate that out to, well, bioidentical estrogen and bioidentical progesterone are the bee's knees and just mm -hmm. perfect? I don't know if the studies are there. They might be. I just haven't seen that yet. So that's yeah. one of the things I'm looking into for 2020. But yeah. I, start, I, I suspect strongly and think that they probably are safer. Hmm. Um, we know that, um, you know, transdermal, that's what we rub on the skin. Estrogen is, is really helps in most cases to lower inflammation. And that Premarin or really any oral estrogen can increase inflammation. Um, and inflammation is at the root of, of a lot of chronic disease and problems. So it's a good, mm. good question though. Yeah. And do you, um, do they still use like vaginal suppositories or um, pellets so or anything like that? Vaginal estrogen is a very safe way to go. It's, it's really um, considered perhaps even safer than transdermal, which would be just like rubbing on the arms and the legs. Um, mm. it, it may, you may not reach like systemic levels in the blood with vaginal estrogen. It, it tends to stay a little bit more local. So, so even women with a past history of breast cancer, um, uh, typically can, uh, use vaginal estrogen. Of course, you know, this is something they have to discuss with their doctor, yeah. but yeah. Would you rather someone take nothing at all or synthetic HRT? Oh, that's a great question. You know, <laughs> it's a really good question. Uh, I'm thinking of my future, my future choices right now. <laughs> okay. So, um, I would say that, yes, I've, I've said this frequently. I, this is just my opinion again. So this is opinion. I think synthetic estrogen, which I'm not a fan of, is probably better than zero estrogen. Mm. But, you know, there are a lot of estrogens, I believe in both the U.S. and the U.K. Well, I know for sure in the U.S., you can get a, um, an FDA-approved bioidentical estrogen. And in many cases, that's just the patch, which is a fabulous. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. are there any, any resources online in the U.S. or worldwide that you can find doctors who prescribe bioidentical? Um, yeah. So for in the U S you would honestly, the best way to do, um, do, uh, that would be just to call a compounding pharmacy. Do you have yeah. compounding pharmacies? In the I UK? think so. Yeah. yeah, I think you do. Mm -hmm. Um, so, or you, in the U S you could, um, you could, uh, look at like the Institute for functional medicine or there's the, um, there's like a association of compounding pharmacies or that you would just go directly. Yeah. You would, yeah. Find a compounding pharmacy in your area. Um, a for M is for functional medicine like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And are there any negative side effects of bioidentical um, hormones? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll be sure to um, cover them. Um, there's, there's two that we'll discuss very briefly. And that is that progesterone, even oral progesterone um, or oral progesterone is safe. Oral estrogen is not. Um, or even um, progesterone that you put on your skin, transdermal, can actually cause a little bit of digestive upset. So it can cause um, the, I guess it's the lower esophageal sphincter to get lazy and you can get a little bit of like progesterone induced GERD. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that to me, you know, you have to kind of mitigate and manage that. Um, and it can be, um, and then, but that's not a reason not to use it just because there's a potential side effect. And then the second thing is as beneficial as estrogen is for so many body systems, so many. Um, cognition, brain, um, heart, bladder, um, vaginal health. And I just will kind of add this in. So whereas it's thought that hot flashes may kind of go away on their own, maybe five to 10 years after menopause, what doesn't go away and gets worse and worse and worse is vaginal health, vaginal dryness, mm -hmm. genitourinary symptom of menopause. That will not settle on its own. Yeah. I mean, estrogen can completely mitigate um those issues mm -hmm. yeah. do you ever see um women experiencing more androgenic symptoms from bioidentical hormones like acne or increased body odor or aggressiveness in any um, way so i mean it's possible so so um it's possible from testosterone to get too much yeah um, if they're not, and, and if they're not and taking progesterone, just estrogen and progesterone. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I have not seen that. I do think it's possible. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really more possible with the synthetic progestins. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they do act. It's same with the birth control pills, and they can act more androgenic in nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. So to finish up, I wanted to ask a few more questions about you, how you stay hormonally healthy, um, because yeah. you look absolutely amazing. You look better than me right now, which is sad. <laughs> I look tired. <laughs> so um, what's one thing that you do every day to stay in hormonal harmony? I, um, I walk. I absolutely love to walk. And um, I get out in nature. Um, and it's winter here now. I think it is for you too. And it's really a challenge for me. Um, but um, I've just decided to get out even if it's cloudy. So that's absolutely love to do that. Yeah. yeah. And how is that benefiting? Is it just benefiting you overall, your health, your stress that's helping so, your hormones? It really um, helps my mood. Um, I tend to get a little bit of sad seasonal affective disorder in yeah. the winter, although much better um, this winter than I was last. And there's several reasons for that. But yeah, I mean, so mood um you know really Mm -hmm. helps my mood and then you know we're like we're meant to walk yeah 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 Yeah, I was going to ask a little bit about exercise are there any exercises that women should really back off from in menopause or perimenopause and wants to emphasize I feel like the big decider is how do you feel Mm. how how do you feel what's your exercise recovery like um, one of the things that's really interesting if you're a menopausal woman and you're not replacing lost hormones at all is you're really at risk for like frozen shoulder and knee issues and things. And that's because estrogen really helps with elastin and elastin cushions joints. So, um, just be careful now if, so whether on hormones or not, um, what you need to do again, if you, if you can is lift as heavy weights as possible, careful for form careful that you don't injure yourself because one of the worst things is like being perimenopause or menopause working on a health plan being motivated being like rah rah i'm going with the weights and then er, you know you hurt yourself Mm -hmm. and then you're out for like six to eight weeks getting physical therapy stuff like that so yeah hire a trainer everyone if you're not sure what you're doing yeah worth worth the money and what's your go-to breakfast ah okay um uh so um eggs um, and, um, usually a piece of sausage or, um, sometimes I will have, um, salmon in the morning mm-hmm. as well. My husband looks at me, he's like, <laughs> I, I can't believe you're eating that. I'm like, I feel so yeah. good yeah. having like a good 30 grams of protein mm-hmm. for breakfast. Yeah. We need to break that myth that it just has to be toast and cereal and bagels for breakfast. It can just be a regular meal. Yes. Strange exactly. to think. Mm-hmm. And what's one herb, nutrient, or supplement that you couldn't live without during your perimenopausal journey? Okay. Oh, that's a great question. I am. So we talked a little bit about herbs. Um, mm. I'm not a big fan of herbs once you hit menopause. Um, not that I'm anti them. It's like I said, it's because yeah. the, the hormones take precedence. But in perimenopause, that's a whole different story. I'm glad you asked that question. I love chaste tree. Mm, uh, yes. Tell yeah, us so to me, that really helped with a lot of my um, PMS type symptoms. Yeah, and how does that work? Oh, I think it works by um, stimulating luteinizing hormone. Mm. I, I, I think you might know more than yeah. I do about that. Yeah, I like to think of it as like an ovarian adaptogen. Mm. So it kind of balances you out whatever you need, um, and yeah, it can help a wide range of um, symptoms, yeah. even in premenopause as well. So um, PMS and particularly mood-based issues. I think it has a good benefit to yes. stabilizing mood. Great. Love that one. Yes. And I will say that as much as I love chase tree, um, I do believe, and again, it's that transition from perimenopause to menopause. I think women lose ovarian response to it with age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're Makes in menopause, sense. you're not going to really benefit from it. That's yeah. my experience. Yeah. And is there any, um, are there any resources or books on the subject of either perimenopause or menopause that you think the listeners would find beneficial? Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, absolutely. So this is a little, this is, this is, um, very academic, so to speak. I, I it's, it's called estrogen matters and it's written for uh, the lay public, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a heady read. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a phenomenal book. Um, um, I also like Dr. Sarah Gottfried's, um, the hormone cure. I feel like it's a tiny bit outdated and maybe in the whole kind of adrenal um something of you know but but that's a small thing Mm -hmm. so i still really like it i think it's got a lot of great advice 
supplements and herbs and lifestyle things. I just love that book. Um, I do like The Female Brain by mm -hmm. Luann Brizendine. Um, she talks about mommy brain and mature brain, and um, it's, a great, it's a great read. Um, what else? Those are the three that come to mind. Yeah, really good. Yeah. I'll, I'll link all of those in the show notes as well for those who are interested. Um, and I've had Dr. Carrie Jones on the podcast and Dr. Felice Gersh as well. And they both mentioned the Estrogen Matters book. I've not had a chance to read it yet. So while all, all you three um, amazing practitioners have recommended it, it's on my Amazon I'm in list. Company. <laughs> yes, I know. Amazing. Um, and where can people find more about you online? So I'm sure they're wanting to um, head over to your website, find more about you. Where can they find you? Sure. It's just my, so my website is my name. It's Maria Claps. It's C-L-A-P-S, one P. Everyone wants to put in a second P. Um, and then I'm pretty active on Instagram, trying to share as much value and answer as many questions as I can. And that's, I think you'll just have to link it. It's Maria yeah. C Wellness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love your stuff on Instagram. Some great images and information that you share um, and free resources, which is always good. And I believe you're doing a retreat. Is it next year? Oh, yeah. Talk more about that. Yeah, that's coming up um, on October 3rd in, um, in, in the country, uh, Tuscan countryside. Amazing. Um, and pretty much everything that I work with women, like in a, say, a six-month program, we're going to condense the most important parts into a week. And we're going, we're interestingly enough, we're going to have a tonics and tinctures for perimenopause. Ooh, lovely. And menopause, right? Yeah. And <laughs> um, there's not far to travel from the UK either. So any UK listeners might be a good yeah, option. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, we're just going to have great food and great human connection mm -hmm, yeah. which is just missing Absolutely. so much. But thank you for asking. Yes. I'm yeah. Sorry. Sounds perfect. I wish I was there. <laughs> and yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast, Maria. This has been absolutely amazing. And I would love to have you on again to maybe do like a Q&A because I'm sure that people have lots of questions about this subject. So maybe I'll compile a list of questions and then have you back on in a few months time if you're open to. I love that yeah perfect yeah. so thank you so much again for your time your resources and yeah it was good to connect thank you Vivian thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast if you like this episode please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances as a massive thank you gift I'll send you a free guide six steps to hormonal harmony all you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.